Heavenly Father, I pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit in our makeshift sanctuary this morning. Uh, though it's a humble place, Lord, I pray for your eternal agenda here. I pray, Father, for works of freedom this morning. I pray that you would build us up um, by, by freeing us to, uh, to break it down, uh, to get a little bit lower where we need to get lower. I pray, Lord, for courage of the heart, uh, for sharpness in the mind. I pray, Lord, for the sense of reality that your presence brings. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about humility, which is everybody's favorite subject. Um, and I have entitled the sermon, How Humility Leads to Most Everything You Want, because I figure a sermon about humility needs a little swagger in the title, right? You're going to talk about humility, you're going to have to build it up a little bit. Get everything you want by being humble. Do you buy it? Christian Paradox. We're actually in a series on what you might call inner health or, or inner fitness. Um, and, and the logic of it is, is, is like this. You can do really great at almost everything in your faith walk. You can do really wonderfully at ministry. You can do wonderfully in most of the choices that you make. You can do pretty well in your worship. You can do all of those things really wonderfully and still get taken out in life, still get your feet taken out from under you uh, due to some personal weakness that you have or some lack of fitness that you have or, or some little thing that you simply fail to take care of in your life. You could be a powerful warrior but have a chink in your armor that just kind of lets the enemy get through to you whenever he wants to. And that little gap will make you ineffective and, and may you know, destroy you in the end. Uh, it can be like just one tragic flaw that you have in your life or one ghost that haunts you. Sometimes it's just one concept that you haven't figured out. It's just one thing going wrong that kind of ruins your health. And ultimately, it's that internal health, that internal strength that really empowers you to walk this life uh, over the course of the long term. We have said for a few weeks now in this series that health is determined by what we do to feel powerful. M more or less, our health, our personal health is determined by what we do to feel powerful. All humans do things that make them feel powerful. Unhealthy people do things that might make them feel powerful in the short term, but which actually weaken them in the long term. Healthy people, on the other hand, do things that actually make them feel powerful in the long term. So when you're having a, uh, a bad day, uh, some of us eat comfort food, you know? which makes us feel powerful in the short term, uh, but, you know, in the long term kind of makes us unhealthy and weak. Uh, whereas, you know, if, if you're really having problems with your health and energy in life, you should eat what, you should eat your veggies. Preach speech like a, 
preaching like a vegetarian, which might make you feel weak in the short term, depending on how much you like broccoli, but in the long term will build you up. And that's just a really simple example of personal health. Of course, that's just food. There are lots of emotional and spiritual examples of that as well. And today, we're going to talk about humility, which sometimes does not feel particularly powerful in the short term, uh, but in the long term is really one of the most power-producing things that there is in life. Humility is a great source of strength, uh, which I, I really want you to hear powerfully this morning. Uh, because there's, there's a mindset uh, that says, well, humility is what you have when you don't have much strength, right? If you're weak, then you're, then you're humble and you're careful. But I want you to get in the mindset of wielding humility, doing humility, because that will actually make you very, very strong. And you'll end up being strong, healthy, and humble, which is powerful you kind of become this unstoppable person. Uh, humility makes you healthy and powerful by keeping you from sinful entanglements, that's one thing that it does, but also by giving you true confidence. And just an equation that I want to get into your head. Humility equals confidence. Humility equals confidence, which might be a little tweak. You know, some of you might think that well, you're humble because you don't have any confidence. Exactly the opposite. Humility makes you strong because it makes you confidence. What does confidence mean? We've talked about that a few times. Confidence comes from, you know, con, with, fide, faith. With faith. It enables you to live with faith confidently, no matter what. And humility does that. Um, I have discovered this in numerous ways uh, in my life. I was thinking uh, about a time... Uh, in my, my young adulthood, my young 20s, and I decided to be a professional academic. Uh, I went to a really competitive grad school where the real action wasn't in the courses that you took. It wasn't in the lecture halls. Uh, my grad school was organized around uh, what they called seminars. What you do is you take all the students <clears throat> from particular areas and you throw them into the room and you would debate things every week. They'd be present, present a paper and you would debate and, and you'd basically determine who was the smartest and all the senior professors would sit around and be like, hmm. But it was, a great, it was a great school in the sense that some of the professors would present as well, and you just, you, you just learn to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best minds uh, available, and that was the way you learn, which is not a bad way to learn, but you know, when I first went into grad school, I was in my early 20s, and it was a little bit intimidating, frankly. So one of these early seminars, I was trying to earn my stripes, and. Uh, and uh, this, this woman was presenting, and I had read her paper, and I thought, oh, well, you know, there's a flaw in this paper. There's a flaw in this argument. And the easiest way to sound smart is to criticize other people. So that's what I was going to do. Um, but I was worried about how it was going to come out, because I hadn't quite learned how to talk with, like, really, really scholarly people yet. So I scripted myself. I sat there for 10 minutes while people were talking about different topics, and I went through in my mind exactly what I was going to say uh, so that I would be really effective uh, because I wanted them to receive it well, and I wanted everybody to think that I was smart enough to be there. Um, and so I, I finally signaled, and my time came. I was a little bit nervous, and so I just spewed it out. I just followed my script closely. 
And I remember there were a moment of silence in the room, and the person presenting the paper said, I don't understand what you're saying. I had not accounted for this. <laughs> All I had was my script, so I basically repeated uh, my point. And then she said, does anybody understand what he's saying? <laughs> and nobody did. And after a few awkward moments, the seminar just proceeded from there. I didn't say anything for like a month after that. Um, but but I, did do, uh, I did do a post-mortem examination uh, of what went wrong. And, and I, I thought, you know, I really did have something valuable to say, but I worried so much about how it was going to be received that, of course, I, I bungled it. Have you ever had an experience like that where, like, you, you know what you have to do, you know what's good, but it becomes important to you in a way that's unhealthy. What, you know, it, mostly you're thinking about how it's going to be received rather than about what's actually true about it or what's actually good about the thing. That, it's fear of man is what it is. And that just chokes the sense out of us. It really does, doesn't it? Most of our nervousness and anxiety just comes from what we think people might think of us. Research shows that in every human action, every conversation, the number one priority of humans is to get through it without awkwardness. And to the degree that you think about that, you'll probably be you know, a less truthful and insightful communicator. Uh, flash forward several years later, uh, I had managed to sort of survive grad school and get into my academic career, and I was working at a think tank at Harvard, um, and just you know surrounded by again some of the best minds in the nation. But that career wasn't going as I wanted it to go, and I feel like oh, I'm, I'm kind of failing at this in such a way that I, I don't want to put any more work into it. So I'd already made a decision to leave academia. I didn't know what I was going to do yet but I was, I was gone. I had a few more seminars to go to just to be polite to people, and I went to this one in the, my, some of my final days at this think tank, and it was sort of a, a big deal, this seminar. They invited some dignitaries from the government, and there were some famous professors and scholars there, maybe even a couple journalists, and someone was presenting on what was a, a, a big topic of the time. They were presenting on uh, how states become democracies. They've been like dictatorships, they become democracies. I won't bore you with the details, but it was a hot topic in political analysis back in those days. And everybody shows up in slacks and tweed, and I went in jeans and a t-shirt, because I'm out of there at this point, you know? I'm, I'm gone. And I was listening to the paper, which I hadn't read, but I recognized the topic. And I said, oh yeah, I thought about this before. I know what the answer is. Uh, and so people were debating, and I thought, well, this debate is kind of shallow, and I raised my hand and they called on me and I said, you know, I haven't read the paper. And frankly, I haven't read too many papers in this subfield, but I know what the answer is. And then I just kind of held forth for about 10 minutes, uh, telling them what I thought, because what did I care? Uh, and, and I realized at a certain point that the spirit of the room had entirely changed. And there were two presenters that day, the co-authors of the paper, and they, and they were writing down what I said. And they stopped and they said, could you speak more slowly, please? And after I got done with my remarks, they said, thank you. Uh, I feel like you just made sense of this for me, which you don't do in a Harvard think tank seminar, right? You don't admit that you were wrong. And some guy in jeans and a t-shirt is right. After the seminar, I remember people coming up to me and shaking my hand. I remember one very famous Harvard professor, eminent guy, came up to me, shook my hand and said, thank God 
Harvard has young scholars like you. <laughs> and I didn't have the heart to tell him that I just quit. <laughs> um, I, was, I was really no smarter then uh, than I was in my days at the University of Chicago in, in grad school. I, I, don't, I don't think so. The difference was my attitude. The difference was I reached a point where I didn't care what people thought of me. You know, it's sort of, I have nothing to lose mentality. And, and I had a moment that day. I thought, you know, if, if I were this humble, if I had been this humble all along, um, who knows what I might have accomplished here. You know, maybe, maybe this career would have worked out for me. Of course, it's happy that it didn't work out because now I get to be here with you. I'm humble enough to beg for compliments like that, isn't that, isn't that great? But have you ever had experiences like that where it's like you just don't care and so you're relaxed and you're kind of true? You're true to yourself and you're true to the moment and things work out a lot better that way? Humility brings confidence in that fashion, right? If you're fearing the people around you, there's no room for the confidence that is within you. Truism. We have a passage today from Luke 14. Um, it's sort of a combination of a couple Jesus stories, uh, but uh, Luke organizes them in a particular fashion and a smart fashion. Uh, it goes like this. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, you know, Pharisees are like religious experts. There's some combination of religious scholars and politicians of the day. They were part of a hyper-religious revival movement and very much honored and, as it says, prominent in society. So Jesus gets invited to eat at, at the house of one of these prominent hoity-toity uh, Pharisees because Jesus is getting a certain street rep, you know, doing a lot of miracle, making a lot of interesting teachings and you know we're about midway through his gospel career at this point so he gets invited to the home uh, of this guy he was being carefully watched there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body you see this all the time in developing world places Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not Presumably because, you know, it's the Sabbath day and he's thinking of healing this poor suffering guy. But they remained silent. So, taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. <laughs> then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Dot, dot, dot and they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests uh, picked the places of honor at the table, man, this is a high society meal, so there's a certain seating structure. Uh, and when he noticed how guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor closest to the host. Uh, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat, <laughs> which would be awesome. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. 
But when you are invited, take the lowest seat. Take the seat farthest from the host, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exhausted. It's just a great little vignette here. Uh, I really like what's going on. There are tons of things going on in the story, but the subtext of the story just sort of shouts out. Why is everybody laughing? I, I'm just giving you an example of humility. You knew what I meant. You could have just let that go. I don't care what you think. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The other way worked too, kind of. I swear, it's prideful. Tons of things going on in the text on which we are focused. Uh, but, the, but, but there's a subtext here that, I, that is shouting loud and clear. You know, it's, it's a story about status, isn't it? It's, it's, it's all a story about what people think of you and what you think of what people think of you. And, and the whole thing just drips with it, which I think is kind of how most society runs. And this is just a great example of it. So, you know, it's the Sabbath day, it's the holy day, and Jesus gets invited to a hoity-toity party at the host of a prominent person. And you know how prominent people are. Prominent people think a lot about status, at least in this place. And he was being carefully watched, which just, you know, says everything, right? It's like, are you, are you acceptable or are you not? You know, you street rabbi you. You know, we are the guardians of what is proper and appropriate in religious and political society. So are you acceptable or are you not? And Jesus, you know, you just see him kind of walking in there, kind of grubby. And wherever Jesus went, the, the inappropriate sick followed him around. Uh, so they're at this Pharisee's house. There's probably, you know, we would consider it like a lanai area where people can kind of force their way in. And the sick guy comes and stands in front of Jesus. And Jesus, he, he knows what the score is. He knows that he's being watched. He knows that these are people that think a lot about acceptance and rejection, appropriateness and inappropriateness, about status, right? The place drips with it, just drips with it. You know, it could be a Harvard seminar, just drips with it. Uh, and so he says, uh, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they know, they know. The sick guy's right in front of him. They know he's a miracle worker. They know that he's thinking about healing the guy. And he asks him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Uh, which, which is, you know, a great, a great question and, and an important one and a provocative one. And they could have had a talk about it. But what strikes me is that these experts are afraid to open their mouths. You know, I get the sense that they're all kind of looking at each other. And they're looking at each other, and then they look to the senior ranking expert, you know, who probably is more concerned with looking pensive and authoritative than he is with actually dealing with the truth of the moment. They say nothing. And so Jesus just heals the guy, and then, you know, he says nothing directly about it, you know. He just kind of looks around at them a while. It's just a great moment. You know, fear of man, status, pride, versus just honest humility and confidence. Look. 
you know, the Sabbath is God's day. You know, can we do good on the, on the Sabbath? Is it a great day to heal people? And, it, and it's like they're stymied, not because they're stupid, but because they're prideful. Right? Pride makes them afraid, and pride always makes you afraid. Always. Humility frees you to do the right thing, no matter what. No matter what, because it's the right thing, and you're just, you're just, you know, a guy doing the right thing. So, obviously, a sick person needs help. If you can help them, you help them. What's so complicated about that? Well, nothing if you're humble, but a lot if you're prideful, as it turns out. And so Jesus gives this famous teaching, hey, if your ox falls in a ditch or, you know, something like that on the Sabbath, if there's an emergency, do you not take care of it? What's the big deal, guys? And they said nothing. Super smart people, the smartest guys are too afraid to open their mouths lest they be shown up by a street rabbi. You just see how pride just sort of twists people into stupidity and fearfulness. Pride always does that to us. Always. What unlocks confidence? Not pride. Humility. It's the opposite of what you might think. And Jesus, you know, goes on in the story you know, he, he wants to press this point a little bit, and he's looking around, and he's looking at how people are playing the pride game, the status game. You know, well, if I sit here, I'll look more important. If I can sit here, I'll look even a little more important, you know, and they kind of creep up the table of honor, and Jesus says, look, that's not, that's not the way to do it. If it's a competition, you are wiser to just sit yourself at the lowest seat, you know, the, the seat of, of least honor, um, because, you know, then you're not risking humiliation. And it's sort, of a, it's sort of a hyperbolic teaching in a way because if you take the low seat at a banquet, if you always take the lowest position in any so social gathering, there's no guarantee that the host or the leader uh, or the center of attention will come and honor you for it. But what Jesus is saying here is that when you play pride games like that, you miss the point, right? You miss the point. If it's a wedding feast, what's the point? Not you! At every wedding, what's the point, guys? The bride, right, well done, well done. The weddings are all about the bride, all about the bride. It's the first thing I say in premarital counseling. Uh, the groom figures in there are distant, second or third. Um, but, but not you, right? Obviously, and that's, that's what Jesus is saying, I say, you know, you missed the point. If you get honored in the midst of it because, you know, the host thinks something of you, great. Great. But, but play it smart. Get, get pride out of the way is sort of, of what he's saying. Pride incapacitates. And it's really humility that sets us free. You know, uh, pride makes the, the smartest people in society mute. Mute. Just shuts them up. They're worthless. Right? They are, they are the religious instructors. Of, they're worthless because they're looking around to see what everyone else thinks. I hate that. I hate groupthink. I hate groupthink. I hate, I, hate, I hate mass discussion of political issues because it always devolves into groupthink and slogans and simplistic charges. And I just long for individuals to stand up and say sensible, humble things. I just don't see it. But that's just me getting frustrated at recent news. Um, but these experts, 
become incapacitated by their pride. You could just as well say that they are being incapacitated by their insecurity, couldn't you? Because pride and insecurity are just flip sides of the same coin. Right? If you're prideful, you have to be defensive. And if you have to be defensive, you're feeling insecure. Pride, insecurity, same, same. Humility, security, same, same. And you might not think that <laughs> until you think about it. It's humility that really makes us secure because we're not really afraid what people uh, think of us. That's worth knowing. We suspect that if these experts could act and think honestly, then they would probably simply say, oh, well, yeah, actually, on God's day, healing is probably fine. That's probably a good thing. But no, pride's made them too stupid and too, uh, too fearful. Anyway, great scripture, and there are so many scriptures about humility. There's all over um, the Old Testament, all over the Proverbs, which is a great book to read on on humility, but Jesus speaks so often about pride and social status and stuff like that. So this is just one of my favorite stories. You know a story I was thinking of today in terms of humility was a story of David and Goliath. You know, the Israelites are camped in front of um, the Philistine army and there's this, you know, this huge giant of a man, Goliath, who's defying the armies of Israel and nobody's going to go out and fight him. And, and and David shows up, um, and he sees the situation. And what's the first question he asks? Do you remember? I'm sorry? Shout it out as if you don't care what people think of what you say. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Defying the armies of the Lord. Has, has nobody else answered his charge? Yeah, how does he formulate that? His first provocative question is, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? All right, which is juvenile in a wonderful way. It's like, oh, maybe, maybe this is worth doing. I, 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 want, I, want, to be a, I want to be a hero. And he's not embarrassed about that, right? I bet all the generals were, you know? And then somebody says, oh, you know, well, that man will be very honored. And, and that kind of leads to David saying, well, you know, I've killed, I've killed bears, I've killed lions, I have a sling, I think this might work, you know? But he's, you, you get the impression that he's not particularly concerned that, that it might not, you know? And then he goes out and, and kills him. Mean, he had a decent plan, he really did. So I'm going to fight him from far off. That's <laughs> great. He came, he came to a really good conclusion, a strategic conclusion. Why? Well, I think just because he was simple about the way he approached things. You know, he also loved the Lord and got him thinking in the right direction. Anyway, warriors are always humble people because they're used to living in very frank situations, if you know what I mean by that. Things could go terribly wrong for anyone at any time. It makes you humble on the battlefield. Um, and David had grown up uh, facing animals that might kill him. That's an aside. That's not even in my notes. Humility is honesty in pursuit of truth and purpose. Humility is nothing but honesty. 
In particular, it's honesty in pursuit of truth and purpose. It's a commitment to reality. That's all it is. It's a commitment to reality in order to get things done. Well, this is something that needs to get done. What's the reality of this situation? Here's a sick guy standing in front of me. What's the reality of this situation? Well, sick people need help. What do I care if society's upper crust is judging me for this? You know, to be honest, God wants us to help weak people, so I'm going to do it, you know? And that, so that brand of honesty is, is what we call uh, humility. Uh, secondarily, humility is not caring what others think of you, which follows a commitment to reality. If truth, if reality is more important to you than what people perceive you as, then you're humble. If reality, if truth is more important to you than what people think of you, then you're humble. I'll say it one more time. If truth is more important to you than what people think of you, then you're humble. And you're also secure, and you will behave freely. It's a tremendous side benefit. Freedom from fear of what people think of you. Uh, all sorts of benefits to humility. Humility is the antidote to insecurity, uh, the antidote to fearing what people think of you. So I would imagine this is really good news uh, to a lot of us here this morning. If you worry a lot about what people think of you, if you worry a lot about whether or not people like you, if you worry a lot about whether you're going to be accepted in this situation or that situation, then what you need is humility. All you need is honesty, commitment to reality, and all of that worry will go away. You believe it? You know, really, it, it's, it's, your, it's your pride, in a sense, that's making you feel so lousy and anxious in social situations. And humility and the development of it, we'll talk a minute, and, about how to develop uh, more humility is just going to feel great to you. It's going to feel great. It's going to feel liberating. So that's good news. That's good news. Uh, humility is the antidote to insecurity and the fear of what people think of you. There are lots of false antidotes uh, that we grab onto. Here's one false antidote to insecurity. Faith. By which I mean, not like faith in God, but faith in certain outcomes. A person who's very insecure will engage on a new project and then say, I just know this is going to work. I know this is going to work. I mean, this is life in the real world. You don't know anything, right? It might not work out as you think it's going to work out. So that perfect faith in perfect outcomes that we try to sell ourselves on sometimes, that's really just us trying to escape the pressure of insecurity, right? Humility says, I'm going to try this thing because it's the right thing to do. I, I, I think it might work out, uh, but, but it, it might not, uh, but it's still the right thing to do. And I'm just going to be free in it. You see the difference? Uh, so that, that sort of perfect faith and perfect outcome sort of thing uh, can be a false antidote to insecurity. I call that faith games. It's not real faith, it's faith games. Uh, and don't play those kinds uh, of faith games uh, with, with yourself. 
another false antidote uh, to insecurity is, of course, all manner of material or social security, social currencies that we play with, you know, how we look, how much money we have, what job we have, what our social position is. Oh my gosh, you know, it can boil down to what we drive, uh, clothes we wear, and all, all manner of stupid things like that. Um, but those are false antidotes to insecurity, of course, because once you start playing those games, then you have to stay ahead, and it just makes you more anxious, not less. Um, humility enables you to do the right thing always, even when doing it might not work out for you perfectly. It enables you to do the right thing always. So a humble person says, I'm going to do the right thing. Why? Well, because it's the right thing. Anything worth doing is worth doing. Period. <laughs> Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly because it's worth doing. There's that proverb, anything worth doing is worth doing well. Well, sure, I mean, do the best you can, but maybe you can't do it well. Maybe you're going to fail. Do it anyway. Why? Because it's the right thing. And it's always wrong not to do the right thing. Are you following my logic here? I'll boil that down to a bumper sticker someday. Uh, humility develops incredible self-confidence which is a mind-bender, but I think it's true. Humility develops incredible self-confidence because it enables you to be confident by yourself. That's what I mean by that. Self-confidence in the sense that it enables you to be confident by yourself. You can tell when a person has humility, they say, oh, here's a great idea, I think it will work. Come on, let's go. And a person who doesn't have humility will say, oh, here's a great idea, I think it will work, but what does everyone else think? You know, and, and that question is not an honest question because it's worth getting people's advice, but you don't really need to get people's opinion of you. Uh, and as soon as you start fishing around for people to prop up your image, tell me I'm smart, tell me I'm smart, tell me I'm smart, uh, it will erode your self-confidence. So humility gives you the ability to be confident even if other people think that you're an idiot, which is something I experience a lot. Thank you, Grandma. <laughs> Sometimes you are an idiot, okay? But um, I, I am fond of saying that Christians are uniquely capable of making their best guess. It's something that in the world we're really good at. You know, we're wrestling with some important decision and, and we can't be completely certain what's going to happen. Well, we're uniquely capable to make our best guess. One, because God's always got our back. And two, because, you know, we're conditioned not to really care. Uh, what people think of us. So that's never an added complication. What if it doesn't work out? Well, you know, I might have to start over from square one. Yeah, so what? <laughs> so what? Um, uniquely capable, developing self-confidence. Uh, humility develops objectivity in us. Uh, objective people are so incredibly rare. People that just think on their own about things independent of what the popular sentiments are. Um, if you're a humble person, then you see things clearly and you see other people clearly. You know, you're free to see them as God encourages you to see them. Just as Jesus did in our story. That's what I love about the story of Jesus at the Pharisee's house. It's that the sick guy stands in front of him. I, I, I project myself into that story 
on occasion. And I thought, well, Jordan, what, what would you have done in that situation? You're there at a very nice dinner. There's probably polite conversation. People think that they're honoring you uh, by you being there. And in a sense, they're trying to be a little bit nice to Jesus to include him in the club. And this guy shows up and, you know, this messy guy, uh, and he's disfigured because he's all swollen. And would I have said, hey, wait, wait for me. I'll get you after dinner. I might have done that because then I could be polite to everybody at the same time. But Jesus is like, no, you know, this, this is an important thing to do, particularly in a gathering like this. And he makes the right call because he sees everybody clearly. He sees exactly what's going on as it unfolds. And I think humility allows him to do that. You know, he says, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I ask this guy to wait, I am contributing to a stifling pride culture. And I am here to be salt and light. I won't do that. And he makes the right call, as he always does, because he doesn't care what people think of him. Um, and uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got it down. Humility makes it hard for others to manipulate you. That makes sense, right? If you're not particularly uh, worried about what people think of you, uh, then it's hard for people to manipulate you. Uh, this is good. This is good. It's good not to be manipulable. Um, but it often makes people mad at you. I'll throw that in for free. I have noticed that truly humble people get charged frequently with being arrogant. Because when you don't play other people's manipulation games, they get mad at you. They say things like, you're not a team player, you don't respect me, and you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm just country boy trying to do what's right, you know, uh, but, but they will go off on you. Why? Because they're insecure. It leads to one of my, uh, my favorite proverbs on leadership, one of my personal proverbs. Insecurity kills leadership. Nothing kills leadership faster than insecurity. Because um, if the leader is insecure, he or she will play manipulation games and shame games and stuff like that, lack objectivity. But good news for you, humility makes you hard to jerk around. You're able to think on your own two feet. Uh, and uh, humility, this probably goes without saying, but humility helps you to hear clearly from the Lord, you know, because there's not a lot of static. You know, you're after honesty, you're after truth. Uh, if the Lord says, hey, you're really messing up on this, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, because you care about the truth more than you care about what people think of you or even what you think of yourself. And having heard from the Lord, humility makes it easier for you to listen. You know, I love when Alex and Dara were sharing earlier, and they're like, ah, this, we, we, we think we heard the Lord. Don't think that we have what it takes to pull it off. So we do it. <laughs> you know, the end of that statement is, so, so we try. We try. And I like the word try because it doesn't presume perfect outcome. You know, try is faith. And uh, great stories, put that way. Uh, they might have fallen on their face. You might fall on your face uh, in, in the future, but you'd still have a great try story out of it. Uh, and that would honor uh, the Lord. All right, so, so I don't think humility is a good enough word. And I want to leave you with a word that's more powerful than humility. My point is that humility, contrary to what you might think, humility makes you free. Right? Freedom and humility should be linked. 
Freedom and humility, freemility. Freemility. Let's hear it for freemility. I'm going to be a big proponent of freemility because that will make you healthy and powerful. It will make you resistant to fear of man. It will make you、uh, powerful in confidence. Freemility. So, what gets in the way of freemility? Well, pride gets in the way of freemility. You know,、uh, unhealthy people pursue things to make them feel powerful that don't actually work. Right?、Uh, health boils down to what you do to feel powerful. Well, following in this desire to feel powerful, unhealthy people need to feel superior, and that's really what pride is. It's the need to feel superior. Why? Because feeling superior makes you feel powerful, and feeling powerful makes you feel all safe and fuzzy and warm inside.、Uh, so, it's pride is a stupid choice to make yourself feel powerful.、Uh, when you make that choice, you know you say, "Well, if I'm stronger, if I'm more beautiful, if I'm richer, then I'll have influence and I'll, I'll have security and happiness, and mom will finally like me and stuff like that." Uh, all of which can kind of be true in some ways, you know, because if you're successful, if you're strong,、uh, if you have a lot of money, I mean, you, you will have more influence、uh, in some ways. Anyway, Jesus didn't have any of those things and had some influence, but you know, there's there's a reason we like money; it's comfortable.、Uh, but there's a confidence that comes from pride, and then there's a confidence that comes from humility, and the confidence. That comes from pride doesn't work. Even if you're after those things, and you're like, you know, I could really use a better job. You know, more money would be helpful to me. That's not a bad thing to think.、Uh, humility would say something like, I want that. I don't have it yet. This is how I'll try to get it. If I don't get it, oh well, I'll just focus on、uh, some other important things. So humility wants, but humility simply wants. There's no complication or baggage with it. Like, yeah, it'd be good to have. I'll, I'll go for it. It's like, well, if I kill the giant, I get national honor. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Sounds good. And if I die, well, at least I've done the right thing. Sort of David's mentality on the field before Goliath. Pride, pride approaches it a little bit differently. Pride says, "Ooh, stellar career. I should have that." And what I'm going to do is I'm going to assure everyone else that I pretty much have it already. You know, because that will make me feel powerful, feel superior, and that will make me feel powerful. And、um, if I don't get it, I'll get mad, or I'll fall apart completely, and I'll always really place myself above other important things、uh, in life. So pride says, I have to have it. You know, humility wants it, but just in a simple sort of way. Pride wants it, but says, "I have to have it. I have to have it. Otherwise, what I think about myself will be proven false." Much more, much more anxious.、Um, our cult, our,、uh, our culture, I think, is a is a pride culture. You know, we all go through that narcissistic stage when we're two, three, four years old, where we think we're the center of the universe simply because we don't. I mean, we don't know any better. We have needs; they should be fulfilled. It's really basic. We become little narcissists,、um, the terrible twos or whatever you call them.、Uh, but then healthy people grow out of that stage. Some of us never do. <laughs>、uh, and our culture is a fairly narcissistic culture. It doesn't encourage us to to grow out of it. You know, we have rights, we have entitlements, we have 
credit cards, we have image advertising, and all of these things sort of play into the narcissistic stream in us. And, and these days we have fewer and fewer, fewer shared social expectations to keep us humble. You know, know your place in the world. <gasps> That's an offensive thing to say. Um, but I don't know, knowing who you are and how you exist relative uh, to other people is not necessarily a bad thing. That's a subject for another sermon. You get, you get the point. Um, so pride gets in the way of humility, uh, but in a weird way, our woundedness gets in the way of, of humility. Wounds can stop humility uh, in your life. What I'm talking about are judgments and expectations that are placed on you, usually through fundamental relationships. Most of us have been taught conditional love, you know, uh, from a parent or some other significant relationship. You have to achieve this excellence or you have to achieve this vision, you have to achieve this outcome, otherwise I won't love you. Otherwise I will think poorly of you. And when we learn that when we're young, it terrorizes us later in life. Uh, we try to live up to something or we make a mistake and then we try to live it down for the rest of our life. We're never free, so we never have any humility. This leads to lots of insecurity games or ambition games or relational games. It leads to a thousand different neuroses because we're trying to prove something to someone. And we may have even forgotten who it is or why we're doing it. And loads of us carry around wounds like this. Why am I always so uptight about performance? And if you can't figure it out, schedule a Sozo session. Can I get an amen from the Sozo team? Tons and tons of personal wounds uh, are, are about that. Uh, and, and it leads to other weird manifestations when we have these wounds. We're trying to live down expectations from other people. Uh, people do crazy things if that haunts them. People sometimes disfigure themselves in different ways, you know, to the point of disfiguring themselves physically um, in order to prove that they don't care what people think of them think of how they look, you know. People literally beat themselves up in different ways in order to prove that they don't have to care what so-and-so thinks of them, you know. And it's, 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 it's piteous, but so many of us do it. I mean, I've done it in different ways myself. So often, pride and wounds go together. We're wounded in our pride. Uh, you know, proud people can't handle rejection or failure, so if they get rejection or failure, and we all do in life, it becomes this huge deal. Um, or, or we're proud because we're wounded. That can happen sometimes. You get wounded, and in order to overcome your sense of being wounded, you just become very proud, very arrogant, very vain. For fear of weakness, we try to convince ourselves of our own importance. You know, and there's a way in which being a victim can become a very empowering thing in an unhealthy way. You know, there's a way in being honest about being a victim of, you know, abuse or mistreatment can be very, very freeing. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But there are people that empower themselves constantly by trying to convince other people how those people have mistreated. You know, I'm, I'm wounded and... Uh, you should treat me sensitively, and you should honor my woundedness, and if you don't, you're a bad person. And you kind of become a bully out of your own weakness. 
that can happen, whether you're honest about it or not. I've probably done that myself as well. We have a culture without humility, I think, and, and a culture without humility is, is, is a culture of offense. And one of the things I read in popular culture these days is just a tremendous culture of offense. Everybody is competing to be more offended than the other person. Every group is competed to be more offended than the other group. That will solve nothing. It just, it's completely devoid of humility, which is why it bothers me. And what it does is it forces people to be dishonest about things. You can't afford to be honest because being offended is what you're about. You know, are, are you following me? So right now, I mean, every headline you read is about these media wars, right? Uh, you know, Donald Trump in the White House is charged that the media is incredibly biased against the truth. Now, frankly, the media is incredibly biased. You know, how do we know this? Well, you have the conservative news network, you have the really liberal news network, and they're biased, which is how they get viewers, right? And then you get, you know, the objective news networks in the middle uh, who are sort of motivated by money and success to talk about whatever headlines get them, gets the most viewership. I mean, the whole system is rigged for bias. And any reporter in the midst of that that can be truly objective about thing is a hero. I don't think you see it very often. So there's a, there's a bit of truth about it. But then, you know, in order to be really offended, uh, certain politicians have to say, uh, you're my enemy. You know, you're the enemy of the American people. And, and it, that offends me deeply. Nobody should listen to you. And, I, I don't know, I, I, I could talk for hours about this. You have groups in society who have been truly mistreated and truly oppressed, and they feel like what they have to do is to voice their offense. I, I feel deeply offended and mistreated. I just long for somebody to stand up. I long for somebody like Martin Luther King Jr. to stand up and say, all we want is brotherhood. And what we're gonna do is lower ourselves physically, and just talk about what's right instead of talking about what's offensive. I just long for that. And we're not seeing it today. We're not seeing it today. And to the degree that you participate in the offense culture, I'm begging you, stop. Don't be offended. Don't be offended. Be honest. Be honest. And offense doesn't help. You know what helps? Love and humility helps. Love and humility. Jesus is Jesus because he was mistreated and kept his mouth shut and served. And over time, while it may not make you feel powerful in the short term, it leads to you being powerful in the long term. Humility is the path. Oh, dear God. For humility in today's culture. Just for one beautiful moment of humility. I'd love it. How to get more humility? Worship. Worship exercise. You know what worship is? It's just bowing down before God. Um, worship is the exercise of confidence in somebody else's su superiority. And if you declare God superior, you're saying it's okay that you're not. <laughs> and that's really, really healthy. That's really healthy. It helps you not to feel like you're the center of the universe. I don't have to be the center of the universe. 
And with my breath or with my physical posture, I can't kneel right now. I have torn cartilage in my knees, but you know, you can bow your head, you can raise your hands, you whatever. To whom worship is unimportant, faith will be difficult. Or I'll say it a different way. To whom, humi to whom humility before God is unimportant, faith will be difficult. If you can't exercise humility before God, you'll have a hard time being confident in life. And you will start playing pride games and insecurity games. So pray on your knees from time to time. I mean, like literally, pray on your knees. Uh, because it, that lowering sort of, sort of helps you or bow your head or, or lift your hands or just do something to exercise worship. That's why I call it worship exercise. Um, try it. Obedience really helps. Uh, we talked about purity last week. Purity, uh, you know, really helps in the obedience game. Uh, but this, this is what I mean today. If you are being disobedient, if there is some pattern of sin or rebellion in your life, even if it's small, you will become prideful invariably. If you are being disobedient, you will become prideful. Now, I think like the opposite might be true. If you're prideful, you're more likely to go into disobedience. But if you are being disobedient, it will make you prideful. Why? Because to justify your disobedience, you will ultimately have to assert your superiority. I'm disobedient. I know I'm being disobedient. But I deserve it. I deserve this little cop-out. I deserve this little sinful comfort. Because... Well, just because. Because at the end of the day, I'm kind of special. Right? And, and invariably, that's going to make you prideful, which is going to make you insecure. And then you'll start playing stupid insecurity games. At first, you won't pretend that you're superior to God, but what will happen is you'll start complaining about how unfair the other people are treating you. And that actually is coming from your hidden pattern of sin. Um, I understand what it means to be treated unfairly, you know, and, and sometimes that's worth complaining about. I've been there. I understand that. So, that, you know, that, that's not what I'm talking about. Whenever I hear an unfairness diatribe, whenever somebody comes to me and says, oh, everybody's just treating me unfairly, I get treated so unfairly, I pause for a moment, and, and in, a, in a really nice way, I'll say, what's going on in your life? You know, where's the sin? in your life that you're trying to justify right now. Uh, I'm not arrogant enough to say that that's how it works in 100% of the cases, but take a moment and evaluate yourself honestly. Care about truth more important than you care about how people see you or how you see yourself even. And if you are just wrapped up with being treated unfairly and rejected, pause a moment and let me ask you, so what's going on in your life? Where's the sin that's driving this thing? Are you following my logic train? Ask yourself, what are you trying to justify? I imagine somebody is treating you unfairly, but... Where, what sin are you trying to justify? That's compromising your freemility. You don't want your freemility compromised. You want maximum freemility in life. Risk is another thing that promotes humility. And this is our last point. Prideful people have a hard time taking honest risks. When a prideful person faces a risk in life, what he or she will do is that they will set themselves up for excuses. 
I'm going to do this hard thing, but you know, if it doesn't work, it's because so many things are stacked against me and everybody else let me down. You can be assured of that, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm that awesome. Um, and that's, that's the voice of someone who's just a little insecure about taking the risk. And insecurity and pride are the same thing. Honest risk is like, well, I'm going to try this thing because it's the right thing to do and I might fail. Um, let's go. And just sort of accepts it uh, simply and, and frankly and then learns one way or the other. Um, if you live a lifestyle of risk, then what you're doing is that you're probably strengthening humility in your life. Uh, and just for the thought experiment, I'd just like to encourage you to think about social risks. How many of you avoid important conversations because you don't know how they'll turn out? You can't be sure that it will go the way that you want to, or you might feel awkward in the situation. Uh, pardon me for putting it this way, but to hell with that! Right? It's you being insecure. That's you being a prideful coward. I mean, who cares? Right? Who cares what people think of you? There are important things for you to do. Honesty in pursuit of truth and purpose. You're salt and light in the world. You need to have important conversations every day. That's who you are. If you're not being that, you don't have any humility. You're humility-less. I'm going to make as much out of that word as I can. But the great thing is that it exercises self-confidence. And the more risks you take, the more risk-able you feel. And risk is, uh, is a great environment for faith. I wonder if you uh, would be willing to take a risk this morning. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and ask him to talk to you honestly. Now look, we all have great things about us, and we all have not so great things about us. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to have an honest conversation with you, and for you to have an honest conversation with the Holy Spirit. And he might point to some ways in which you just lack humility, uh, which are great things to know, again, because where you lack humility, you lack power and freedom. Humility will make you confident. Humility will make those insecurities go away. Humility, I promise you, will feel so good when it comes. It will feel free. I promise you. Let's have the conversation. Holy Spirit, uh, with a spirit of daring, I ask you to come and have an honest conversation with us this morning. We want to be free. We want to be confident. We want to be over it. And we want to just be truthful and purposeful in life. We want to feel better. We want to feel better. So we pray for humility, and I pray, Lord, that you might point to areas in our life where we're not being humble as we should.